We're in a brand new series called Be Encouraged. I borrowed the title from um, a Warren Wiersbe book. Warren Wiersbe is a scholar who just went home to heaven like a month ago. Um, radio Bible teacher and writ, wrote about 160 commentaries, books. And uh, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. Last summer we spent some time in 1 Corinthians. This summer we're doing 2 Corinthians. And, um, and the theme is Be Encouraged. This will be the next eight Sundays or so, Lord willing. We all need encouragement. We all need hope, don't we? We really do. We, um, we need encouragement. We don't need coddling. I don't need someone to coddle me or to make excuses for me, but we need true biblical Christian encouragement. We especially need encouragement when we're entangled in life because life is messy. In fact, that was the series of 1 Corinthians. If you didn't listen or you weren't here for it a year ago, you can pick it up online because life is messy. And if it wasn't messy before you got there, you'll make it messy because it's just who we are. It's what we do. We need encouragement not only because life is entangled and messy. We need it because we're troubled, because we make bad choices, or because bad events happen that were out of our control. We need encouragement because other people make bad decisions, and we have to live with them. And because life's entanglements, we need encouragement, and we need to know above and beyond. We just need to know that God cares and that's what these first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians will tell us. Read along with me as I read aloud, would you? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. He says, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus uh, the Christ is the Old Testament term for the Messiah, and Jesus is his human name. And by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, he defines himself, identifies himself as the writer, and he's with this young, uh, young pastor, Timothy. But he writes not to represent the church or, the, or, the, the, or God's people. He says, I am here on behalf of God in Jesus Christ. He represents Jesus. So his words carry weight. Some people have wondered, I wonder if we should listen to everything Paul says. Do we have to? Yeah, you have to. Why? Because his words are not, he's an apostle for Jesus Christ. Get that? He is speaking in behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. His words carry weight and credibility. They are inspired of God. So he writes with his traveling buddy, Timothy, keep reading, to the church of God that's in Corinth. Corinth is a city that's in what we call Greece today. Achaia is the ancient word for Greece, the lower islands of Greece. And, but he says, I'm writing to you, you're the church of God. And this church, by the way, is a mess, got all kinds of sin issues. And, and he says, but I call you holy people. Look at that. Um, and he says, the end of verse one, you're a holy people throughout Achaia. I, I know the church of God is a mess, but you're still a holy people. They, they carry in their baggage. And this is, this is hopeful to me because every time I see a perfect church, I realize something. I don't know enough about it because there's just weird people wherever you go. The names change, and um, the locations change, but, but weirdness and sin and entanglements and relationships always seem to show up, and if you don't know it, it's just because you're flying over. It's, it's the issue of the grass is always greener. It always looks great when you're flying overhead at you know, 20 or 30,000 feet. And so he writes, and he says, you're a holy people, even though we've got a messed up life. And by the way, as he writes 2 Corinthians, this may be his fourth letter to them. You're saying, well, where are the other two if we only have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians? 
not everything that he wrote was inspired of God. Sometimes he just wrote letters. And he actually founded this church. When he founded it, he heard there was trouble, so he wrote a letter. They didn't like it, so they wrote back questions. So 1 Corinthians is the one that is preserved as him answering those questions. And then they still don't get it right, and so he has to go through it again. Anybody been in a situation like that where you've been like, okay, we're going through this for the fourth time now. What part of load the dishwasher don't you get? Anybody else? Yeah. I was gone all day, and one of my children, who will be naming, he will be re, uh, not named, but but all I asked was that they just put their plate in and then just push the door shut. I had loaded the soap, I, I turned it on, everything. All I had to do was push it shut. That was too much effort. <laughs> and we gone over this and over this and over this. And um, so I, I came up with the idea of let's just eat dinner on plates that have egg on them from the morning, which didn't go over well with my wife. But anyway, back to the message. You've been over things like once, twice, three, four times, right? And it's still entangled, it's still a mess. Yeah, that's where he is. This is his fourth letter. And he says, grace and peace to you, verse two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He instructs them as, when he begins, but, but right as he begins to instruct them, he says, hello and grace and peace to you. Here's, this is kind of a bugaboo with me and some of it with you, but I find it interesting. He starts by greeting, he doesn't, he doesn't start by, what were you thinking? Have you ever gone into a conversation like that where people can't even say hello? I've done that, where I'm in a hurry, and then I stop and go, oh, by the way, good morning. You ever done that? Yeah. So he stops, he goes, grace and peace to you. And, and, and that just treats people humanly. It gives them the dignity of life, even when you have tough things to say. And, and he begins with a doxology, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace and peace means... I, Unmerited favor, that's grace. And because of that unmerited favor, you can live at peace. And grace is not just the path to heaven, but it actually is help for here on earth. And the result is that personal peace. And so when we're in a troubled storm of life, we need to know right at the beginning, there's grace and peace. Now let's dive into the text. Verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. Remember what God is to you. Let's just get that down. First of all, we praise him because he is God. We praise him because he is God. Don't let get that past you. Begin by setting the right posture that God is God. His praise is found throughout the New Testament. That the, when the Apostle Paul would write, they would say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he writes, it just seems to just flow out of him that God comes first. Uh, sometimes I start my day with Hezekiah Walker. Uh, Every praise is to our God. Right? You'll be singing that all day. You're welcome. Okay? Here's another one. Uh, not as well known, but I love the words. Uh, Sarah Groves is her name. It's called the first song. Uh, In the morning when I rise, help me to prioritize all the thoughts that fill my day. Before my schedule tells me that my day is full, before I'm off and on my way, I want to praise you. I need to praise you. Let the first song that I sing be praises to my God and King. Isn't that good? Yeah, uh, that's good writing, but that's great theology. Because you know it. You know that when you start, the way you start your day oftentimes is the way you're going to have posture in your day. So set the climate for your home, 
for your car, for your office, for your workout space, whatever it is, turn up the praise. Turn up the praise. Remember what God is to you. He is, he is God. We praise him because he's God. Secondly, we praise him because he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to verse three again. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His saving is wonderful, but it does even more. He says Jesus is connected to the Father, and, and what he wants here is relationship. He, it isn't that, that he's not saving. He is saving, but he's saying you're connected to God, and we call God not just God now. Now we call him Father. He provides a path, a lifelong path to great relationship. The end of verse 3. We praise him because he is the father of compassion. Um, go back to the passage. He's the father of compassion, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Who comforts us, verse 4, in all of our troubles. Get that, it's kind of a sweeping. This term comfort or compassion or its derivative is found 10 times in the New Testament. 10 different words, and he uses five of them right here. <laughs> you know what I think he wants us to know? He wants us to know that God is the God of all comfort. That if you're hurting, you can come to him. And if you're down, you can come to him. And if you're lonely, you can come to him. He is the father of all compassion. Now, and by father, it isn't that he's just father in heaven, but he's the originator. By this, uh, scholars think of the same way. Like Satan is the father of lies. He's the originator of lies. God our Father in heaven, he is the originator of compassion. So if you want to get back to the source of compassion, get back to the Father. He is the Father of compassion. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So we praise him because he's the, he's the Father of compassion, but that's not all. We praise him because he's the God of all comfort. End of verse 3. When we're overwhelmed and discouraged by the events in life, it's easy to look at the events, isn't it? Instead, he asks us, instead, look at the Lord God. God may be up to something good in this. And even though it feels bad, even though you don't want to go through it, if you'll just walk with him in faith. By the way, this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, is a passage you could read at every believer's funeral. At every time you go to the widow's home or the widower's home. Who is he? He is the God of all comfort who walks with you through all of your trouble. He knows, he cares, he understands, he gets it. And that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. The fact that he, he really does care. Now, having said all that, we know not only much about God now, but now, secondly, we want to know what is he doing through this situation I am comforted, verse 4 now, that I might comfort others. Go look with me at verse 4. He is the God of comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, see the word so that? It's in order that, as a turning phrase, kind of a hinge, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received with God. So you are not just receiving comfort, but now you're going to be the recipient and now the carrier of that comfort wherever you go. It's to say to other people, yeah, I've been there. I've been in this spot. You will survive. You will make it. <laughs> I remember uh, not long ago, a, a guy walked in my office. He just plopped down as a young adult. He, he got out of college. He got his first job. Someone talked nasty about him. Part of it. And it was unjust. It was unfair. He just plopped down. He goes, 
They're just telling lies about me. And he spent most of his life in school and making great grades. And so this was just a bump in the road. And I looked at him like, hey, join the club, dude. He goes, people talk bad about you? Yeah, but usually not when I'm around. I mean, usually it's after I leave the room. They go, mm, like that. Uh, in his case, they did it right in front of him. I said, that's actually doing you a favor, because now at least you know what they're saying. He goes, well, they hate me. Man, but at least you know that. <laughs> yeah, people hate me, and I don't even know it. <laughs> that's what you call divine cluelessness. He, it, it was an awakening call for him. In my pain earlier in life, Helped him with his pain and his presence. Does it make sense? Yeah. So go back to the text now, verse 4. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles, not just some of them, all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in the trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I was traveling on a short-term trip with a buddy, um, and we were out of country, and this, this buddy goes back 20 years, and it's, we have a, a really good relationship. There's another pastor, and he was going through deep weeds, and he just, he just like dying, and he's just ready to go drive truck or something. He's just ready to quit and drive truck. And my buddy Ken sits down next to me. We, get, we hop in a van, so we're gonna try, travel to another city, and, and uh, we have a hired driver. So I hop in, and Ken leans in and goes, you, you need to talk to him. Okay. No, I mean, you really need to talk to him. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to him. Yeah, if you don't talk to him, he's going to end up driving truck. And what's worse, he'll end up listening to country music. Yeah. Okay. Understand this. You go through those troubles, and, and you know what he's going through? He's going through trouble, and he just wanted to bolt. You've been through corporate downsizings. You've been cut out of things. You've been unemployed for six months or a year. You wonder what's wrong with your resume. And then finally you get hired, and then someone else comes along. And, and they, they're fixing everything about their lives, and they're becoming, you know how it is. They're becoming super aware of everything about their body language. Like, why am I not being hired? And you're going to say to them, hey, I've been there, done that. You'll get a job. There's nothing wrong with you. Just keep doing the right things. Stay the right habits. It'll come. Be patient. God is out for your good. Because you've been there, and you know that. Okay, so I'm comforted, not for just my own comfort. I'm comforted so I'm able to comfort others. Now, secondly, God uses the bad events ultimately for his good and ultimately for good. Verse 5, as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also we share in the comfort that abounds through Christ. Get that? So my bad events, they end end up abounding in Christ. Why? Because I lean in tighter to Christ. And I grow through those difficult times. And then all of that gives me hope. Um, and and the, that uh, little paragraph, verse 7. And our hope for you is firm. Get this? I, I have highest hopes for you. I just know. And this is the Apostle Paul's fourth time around with these people. Uh, and he's, it's fourth time around. Yeah, he's going, I know you're going to get this right. My hope for you is firm. We sang it. Hope of the world, lifted on high. I, I want to have my hope no other place than in the Lord himself. So we remember what God is doing through us. Now we're going to see what God, is, what God does for you yourself. Uh, back up to verse 3. Because he actually permits the trouble to come. He is the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all of our troubles. 
so that we can comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. In other words, that trouble came from God so I could get the comfort from God. I would never know that I got comfort from God if I, uh, when I get the relief that I realize even the problem is there, so I'll lean into the Lord. And he uses all of these variations of the word affliction and trouble and strife. And, and, and when he does that, now there's no mistaking it. God is out for my good. This trouble is not an accident. This is, this is a divine appointment. You get this? This is my, um, this is my divine appointment. I was with a guy who had been falsely accused and um, it was so bad that, uh, and this guy's a professional guy, he gets arrested, goes to jail. His wife wants to get bail. They put a monster amount of money. She has to lay the house down to get her husband out, but she wants him out. She doesn't want him to stay there. He's a professional guy, but someone lied about him and falsely accused him. He comes out of that county lockup. It's the middle of the night. I I show up just to pray for the wife, not knowing he's getting out, but he gets out, and the attorney's there, and the attorney's a Christian, and he stands outside the court, the jail cell, the jail building, and says, you will never forget this night, and this night will define you. Everything about your life is up to here, and now it's to here. And you, you have those moments, right? Everything up to that, and this will be defining to you. Get this, when you run through deep, deep trouble, as awful as that is. By the way, the guy got, he ended up being exonerated. They found him not guilty and they threw the case out. But, but he had some hours of wondering, am I going to spend the rest of my life with a toothpaste and a toothbrush in a cell? He, he actually thought that was his life. And, and you know what? That guy turned and became, because he was in jail for a while, he became friends with the guys who were in jail and he became pen pals to those guys and became ministers to those guys. For me, I would just like, shut up, get away. You know, I'm, 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 I'm innocent. Yeah, that's what we all say. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. It's gonna be defining. Get this, when you're in trouble, trouble is not an accident. It may be your divine appointment. It, it may be the divine turning point in your life. It may be the marker God uses in your experiences to demonstrate, get this from verses one and two, his grace and peace. Wow. So he permits the trouble to come and he is in control of those troubles because we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles you've experienced. Verse eight. And those are troubles that are all throughout the province of Asia. We're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, get this, so that we despaired of life itself. You've, you don't know what trouble is until you've wished, you know what, I'd be better off dead. That's real trouble, folks. That's real trouble. I would just as soon be gone. And if you have those feelings, if you've ever had them, or you've had that fleeting thought in your mind, know that you're not alone. One of the writers of Scripture had that thought. Sometimes we live in the land of denial where we just think, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so it doesn't happen to me. Well, it happened to the Apostle Paul more than once. And I want to be a positive person, and I want you to be a positive person for sure. But when trouble comes and we're not responsible for it, maybe we brought it on ourselves. Maybe not. Maybe not. But perhaps God is pushing us to the limit so that when we know the grace of God, because he is in control of the trouble. 
And he's going to use it for a great, great life lesson. And what God does is he allows us to bear up through that trouble. Go back to verse 9 now. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. We thought we were dying under this pressure, he says. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. So what God is doing is he's squeezing out every other prop you might have. Uh, every other way you might think about it. And then you, you don't really rely on the Lord because you always have something else to rely on. And God puts you in that spot so we will rely on not ourselves but on God. But in the, how's he ended? Who raises the dead. Get this. So he's not just saying, well, yeah, um, yeah, he's good. No, he raises the dead. This is a problem. And if I had any other props, if I had any other backup plan, you had another job, you had some backup cash, another place to live, or another group of friends, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do whatever. If you had any of those opportunities, you would take them. And so what does the Lord do? He takes them all away. It becomes a sentence of death. So you don't rely on yourself, and, and he's in those trials. He pushes you to the limits. Why? So you'll rely on him, and you'll understand his grace, and he enables us to bear up under those troubles. We die to self, and we live to him, and it's only going to work if God shows up big time, but he does, because he raises the dead, and he delivers us, verse 10. And he delivered us from the deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. Get that hope of the world we just sang it on him we've set our hope and we'll continue to deliver us that's been his experience all along we don't know how he's going to do it and for some of the followers of jesus they died defending the faith for others they were delivered i mean what we would call delivered but in any case delivered but we have confidence that god is going to work it together for good and and, and that's where we set our hope and nowhere else my hope is built on Jesus' blood, the songwriter put it, and his righteousness on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Any other hope is sinking sand. It just will not work. So God delivers us from the trials, and God is glorified, really. He gets the ultimate glory, because you know, no, I could never have finagled this. I could never put this together. I could never do this. Verse 11, as you help us with your prayers, then the many will give thanks on your behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. In other words, I really need prayer. There's no dignity here. There's no, like, I'm trying to protect my dignity. No, he, he doesn't hesitate to ask for prayer, and nor should we uh, hesitate to ask for prayer. I, and I, yeah, I'm guilty of that sometimes. I, I'll carry the weight, and I'll pray myself, and then finally I'll break down and go, could you just pray for me? <laughs> like it's a, a point of weakness. Yeah, I just need prayer. And the Apostle Paul goes, early on, we're in chapter 1, we're 11 verses in. He's going, oh, by the way, you need to pray for me. And I need your friends to pray for me. Because I need the many, many to pray for me. No hesitancy at all. And you will have a gift, an intimate relationship with God. And you will know that he is the father of compassion. And here's what's going to happen. When you come out the other side of that trial, and however it works itself out, However it works itself out, when you come out the other side, you will know you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, God himself. That's a wonderful place to be. That is a wonderful place to be. Um, uh, Okay, I'm done with 2 Corinthians. I want to give to you um, a passage. If you have 
a full Bible, go back to Psalm 73. You need to see this. And some of us in the room need to memorize this. This is the prayer of an Old Testament saint, but it is so parallel to the trouble that Paul went through. So you're in 2 Corinthians, which is great. Go back to Psalm 73. And he goes through similar troubles. And what does he say? Verse 25, Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Get that? Who do I have besides you? And on earth, on earth has nothing I desire besides you. Did you get that? Just desire you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Wouldn't that be cool if that were your heart's prayer? Those who are far from you will perish. In other words, I don't have to worry about what you're going to do with these others. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. I don't have to, I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to make it right. I don't have to justify myself. Why? Because the Lord will take care of that. But as for me, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's all I need you. When you have nothing left, then he will be enough. And then you'll know, and no one can talk you out of it. You could be encouraged because you'll know God really does care. Bow with me, would you? And would you stand as we pray? I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna pray for all of us uh, together in just a moment. But before I do, if if you've never opened your heart to Christ and sought Him as Savior, this would be the day to do it. And I encourage you to do it right where you're standing. Just open your heart and life to Him. If you know you need prayer, you need someone to pray for you, step up to the front, to the left. Charles will be over there. It'd be his honor to listen and to pray. But God, we, we turn to you in times of need, but we run to you in times of incredible pain. So teach us, oh God, to run to you prior to the pain that we may know you like the writers of old know you. There's nothing else we desire but you. We know our heart and flesh is going to flail, but you are our portion. So it's good for us to trust you, God. You are sovereign. You are our refuge. And because you're our refuge, we tell of your good deeds. And no one can talk us out of it. We thank you and we bless your holy, wonderful name. In the name of Christ, our risen Lord, God's people would say amen.